four contenders left in the Pac-12 football conference or just three? I'm John Canzano. Welcome to another episode of the Canzano and Wilner podcast. We'll talk contenders, media rights, Matt Rule. Plus, what are Wilner and I binge watching? All of that ahead. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, everyone. I am John Wilner. You can find me at Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com, and syndicated across Pac12 media outlets. And I am with the great John Kanzano, who can be found at... JohnKanzano.com. Imagine that. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you. Uh, man, we are in like the meat of this college football season, and the Pac-12 is suddenly very interesting. But before we get to all that, Wilner, I got to tell you, I had a neighbor one time who knocked on door on a Saturday morning. And nice guy, knocked on my door. I answered the door. I thought, you know, what did I do? Did I park in front of his mailbox? What did I do? Did I, you know, did are our dogs out? What? No, he, you know what he had, wanted to know? He wanted to know what I was watching that morning when it came to sports. He's like, what are you watching? I was like, what do you mean, what am I watching? And he says, what's on your TV? It happened to be that day that I was watching. I wasn't watching a college football game that morning. I was watching HGTV. He was floored by this. He was floored that a sports writer would have interests outside of sports. But it got me thinking, like, you know, last night, great weekend, by the way, with, with the Pac-12 games. And again, we're going to get there. And watched a bunch of NFL. I'm tuned into my job. But I, last night, uh, Anna and I started watching a new show. And it got me thinking about, I want to know what John Wilner's watching. But I want to tell you about the show that we were watching. It's called The Old Man. And people out there who have seen episodes of it, I'm not going to ruin it for you if you haven't uh, seen it already. But for people who don't know, The Old Man is on uh, FX, I think. And it stars Jeff Bridges, John Lithgow. And it's about a... Uh, a CIA agent who's trying to get off the grid. Now, I've only seen one episode, but I am hooked on that show. We love shows like that. we uh, also watching The Patient, Steve Carell in a serious role, serial killer involved in that one. Won't go too far into it, but that's really good as well. What are you watching in the Wilner household? I knock on your door. What are you guys watching? Boy, uh, well, it would be one of two things. Uh, sometimes we watch disaster shows, and I'm not sure there's probably some kind. You could probably put me on a couch and uh, start asking some questions and <laughs> get get deep on there. We watch, uh, I think it's on Smithsonian, and my son loves it. Uh, we, it's, dis, you know, airplane disasters, yes. ocean disasters. You know, I, they're kind of a little bit detective st- uh, stories. But, you know, the big thing we're watching right now is Top Chef. Uh, and it's, I'm not sure exactly which season it is, but we recently found out that one of the kids on my son's baseball team, his mom was on top chef. And so we found this out. We got, like, well, we got to go. I don't want to name names, but <laughs> yeah. we got to go watch her and see what happens. And it was an episode. It's like probably maybe 10 years ago, uh, just based on the age of the kids, so that. that's pretty cool because he's seeing, you know, he's seeing the mom that he knows and they've shown some pictures of the family when his teammate was a baby. So it's pretty cool for for that uh, in that respect. But, you know, we all like Top Chef anyhow, because, you know, just the the competition and the 
the way sometimes they're not very nice to each other. Yeah, it's kind of like sports in that way. Uh, you know, my kids. You know, what my kids turned me on to was the the game show called Is It Cake? Did you see this thing? No. Okay, so it, essentially it's a cooking competition, but they are decorating cakes to to make them look like a sneaker, a purse, items that you see normally around the world, and then they actually will put the 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 cakes that they created next to the sneakers and the purses and the real items, and then the game show contestants have to guess, is it cake? Or is it actually the item? So it's like cake decorating uh, taken to the extreme. And my kids love it. I don't know why we got hooked on it. It's such a simple, dumb show. But basically, is it cake or not? So there, try that some night when you— uh, We will do that. When, you need, when your brain cells need a, uh, need a night, night off. Yeah, with my, luck, uh, with my luck, I'll be trying to tune out of work, and the, the episode will have somebody making a football. There you go. Yeah, that'll be the one. But is it cake could be the Pac-12 season, too, because that's kind of what happened over the weekend. I want your impressions over the weekend. We're all looking at UCLA and Utah. We're looking at Oregon. We're looking at USC, Washington State, and we're going, is it cake or is it, you know, is it is it fake? Is it something else? Let's get your impressions for the weekend. What did you come away thinking about? Well, UCLA is clearly for real, right? I thought that was a very impressive performance. I see a lot of similarities between UCLA and USC, you know, uh, not just in the record, not just in what happened on June 30th, uh, but they're kind of built the same way. They both have got very talented, very well-conceived offenses. uh, And the defenses are not like, you know, it's not like we're watching – Utah's defense from last year just, you know, smother people, right? There's a little bit of bend, but don't break. There's a lot of opportunism, you know, with turnovers and and big plays. And so to me, uh, you know, they both are going to need that. They're going to have some challenges down the stretch here. And to me, it's which defense is going to be able to play, you know, uh, more consistently uh, to complement the offense, right? You, you can't afford to get in necessarily 45, 40 shootouts all the time. You got to have complementary football. And and I think USC and UCLA are very similar in that regard. I left the weekend really thinking about UCLA. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson, to me, is a huge difference maker on offense. He's such a better player, a more consistent player as a fifth-year senior he was, you know, two years ago. And we expect that kind of growth, but he really looks like he's grasping it. And then the other part of this was Bill McGovern on defense is the D coordinator at UCLA. Dramatic improvement there. The linebackers at UCLA look really good, really active. Opportunistic is a great word for that. But they look so much better under McGovern than they did uh, under Jerry Azanaro, uh, you know, over the last few years. And I reached out to somebody who's a longtime Chip Kelly confidant who said, you know, quote, he's so darn loyal, that change was really hard meaning the change from Azanaro to McGovern. But it was kind of like it's show business, not show friends. To me, UCLA suddenly looks like the best team in the conference. You know, I, I need to see them against Oregon in a couple weeks. We'll talk about that in a minute because I think Oregon's got a lot of speed, and I think it's going to be an interesting matchup for them. But Utah made some mistakes that were uncharacteristic. The, the roughing the passer penalty, the turnover in the red zone, you, you can't do that in big games. And, you know, for Utah, I also left thinking about last season. Utah last season played at Oregon State, uh, you know, in late October and, and laid an egg. And, you know, Oregon State ran all over them, blocked two punts, and beat them. 
And then Utah sort of pivoted and won six in a row, went to the Rose Bowl, won the conference championship game, just looked better. Like, does Utah have that kind of uh, acceleration? Does this group have that kind of of move in it? Uh, we're going to find out. Yeah, I'm not sure about their defense. But but what you said about UCLA and the change of defensive coordinator, right, it's, again, it's about balance, I think. And, you know, last year UCLA had – arguably a more talented offense than it does now, given who was playing receiver and tight end, but they had those stumbles because their defense would fall apart, fell apart against Fresno, fell apart against ASU, right? Now they're playing complementary football and there's more balance. And then I look across the conference and I see, you know, Washington state really good defense. I mean, maybe the best defense in the conference, but boy, their offense has has uh, is pretty erratic, especially on the road. And then I look at Arizona; they got some talent on offense, but their defense is terrible. So we're seeing this. You know, uh, things are coming. I think into into focus on which teams are good enough on both sides of the ball to be able to win consistently down the stretch, and especially on the road. Right? I mean, you got to be able to convert third and five on offense. You got to be able to get off the field third and eight on defense. And the teams that can do it on both sides of the ball, and, and it seems to me like it's clear USC, UCLA, uh, their defenses are playing just well enough to, to support those offenses. And I think Oregon, to me right now, Oregon is the most complete team in the conference. Whether it stays that way or not, I don't know. But, boy, you got to like how the Ducks are playing on both sides. Yeah, I really wish Oregon would play USC in the regular season because I, I want to see all of these matchups, right? But we potentially would not get that game until maybe Las Vegas. Is there a top four in the conference? USC, UCLA, Oregon, Utah. Is there a top four or is it a top three in your mind? USC, UCLA, Oregon. What's the answer to that sure question? I'm not sure Utah's in that. I, I'm, I'm not uh, completely convinced Utah is is good enough right I mean they offensively I see a team that is good but I don't know if they've got enough big plays in them uh it's like eight they got to go you know six yards at a time is hard when you got to go 75 yards uh and the defense is clearly not as good right they missed Devin Lloyd a ton they're not getting as much pressure they're awfully reliant on that the 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 secondary I, I'm not sure that uh, Utah is that much better than Washington State, to be honest. And and we're going to find out. Those teams play in Pullman, uh, what is that, in two Thursdays, I think? Yeah. Uh, it's like the 27th. So we'll get a good gauge. But I think it might be the top three. And then you got Utah, Washington State, maybe the Huskies and Beavers in there. So maybe there's three tiers. I'm going to say that it's still a top four until I see – Utah USC on Saturday at Rice Eccles, yeah, but fair. but but I agree with your assessment. It felt to me that Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah, resorted to, "Hey, we don't have anything else but Cam Rising running the ball," and it felt to me like you know it was sort of a concession by Utah against UCLA that they couldn't get receivers open consistently, and you know their run game was you know I thought it was really good early, but they sort of got away from it as the game went on. Uh, there's also something not quite right about Cam Rising. When I look at him, he's he's really good. He he mostly makes good decisions, but there's something off right now about Utah. And I can't I I can't decide if it's just it's that time of year. They haven't put it all together yet. Give them time for it, or if it's not going to be there at all. And I think we get a big clue on Saturday is that Utah USC game. I've I've had that one circled for a while because my suspicion is that Utah is going to beat USC. 
and disrupt things and leave maybe the UCLA Oregon game to kind of decide for us who really is in, in charge in this conference right now. Yeah, it's two really uh, big games the next couple of weeks. I have wondered if the interception of Florida has somehow just thrown his confidence off a little bit, but we'll find out this week, right? I mean, it's he's going to have plenty of opportunities for big plays against the Trojans. Uh, speaking of takeaways from the weekend, uh, as you as you look at you know UCLA and Oregon, that one's not till two weeks from now. Chip Kelly would hate us talking about it because it's not the Super Bowl this week, but. How big is that game, and, and what are you thinking about as two top 15 teams will play at Autzen Stadium and, you know, the the eyes of the country are going to be on that game? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I thought, I wonder if ESPN game day may end up going. You know, that would probably be a contender to host, uh, to host game day. I think that uh, it's, you know, it's great for the conference to have a game like that when you know there's two weeks of buildup because both teams are off this Saturday, right? I know. We don't want to look too far ahead, but you know that they're going to Oregon's going to have one loss and UCLA's going to have no losses because there's no chance of either of them going down this week. So the conference has got is locked in no worse than number what is it number ten number eleven versus number twelve maybe even both in the top ten because they can't lose this week. Yeah, and I think you know, look Chip Kelly's played Oregon three times. The whole novelty of Chip Kelly returning to Austin Stadium they've done that twice already. That's kind of in the rearview mirror. Now I think, you know, people are going, oh, he has his guys at UCLA and look out. But I still I want to see them against Oregon's speed on defense. And I want to see, can they defend Bo Nix in the way that Oregon's using him with Kenny Dillingham? Like, I think that's going to be a really good game. And you're right. It's good for the conference because you get USC Utah this week. You get UCLA Oregon next week. You know, we didn't have this in the last couple of years where we had like, you know, multiple teams that we, we're not sure who's going to end up in Vegas. Yeah. And, and ranked versus ranked is how you get on the primetime broadcast slots. Right. And now we've got three, three or four teams. I can't remember what the latest poll is, but it's uh, it's definitely there's more quality at the top than there's been. And that comes from winning those early games. Right. It's it's amazing what happens when you don't lose 10 games to the Mountain West and BYU, right? I mean, it, the math adds up and it works in your favor when you get into October. You got lots of teams with good records and high rankings. Or I, I didn't mean to ask you, though, how does Chip get re, you know, welcomed when he comes back to Autzen? His first trip back, they gave him a standing ovation as the PA announcer, uh, you know, Don Essig at Autzen Stadium, acknowledged Chip Kelly in the pregame. And he got a standing ovation, and I believe he had a visor on that night, and he tipped his visor. And it was really cool, and I think there was a little – there was some nostalgia. But I think now, I think people want – don't want – you know, they're, they're looking at their ex here. They don't want him to uh, have done better than them. So Dan Lanning and that coaching staff against Chip Kelly and those old dogs over there at UCLA, that's a really big matchup. And I think, you know, fans in Oregon, they respect Chip Kelly, but I think they want to beat his pants off in this game. Yeah, uh, you know, and and it's a big game. And the thing is, UCLA can lose this game and still make the playoff, right? Because you can get in with one loss, and losing at Oregon's not is not going to be seen as a bad loss. Uh, so they lose in Eugene and, and win out, they're going to probably be in the playoff or or very close to it. What's interesting to me though is what happens if Oregon wins the conference at twelve and one with a forty nine to three loss to Georgia. I don't know that they can get in. And I think it would, you know, in some circles in the national media spin cycle, right, it would reflect poorly on the Pac-12 if the champion 
has lost 49 to 3 to Georgia. I think the Pac-12 and Oregon have to start selling the narrative that something has changed dramatically inside the program. Because as much as the college football playoff selection committee that, you know, they look at scores and they look at outcomes, they also pay attention to narratives. Like if a player has come back from injury, whatnot. So I think what Oregon and the Pac-12 need to sell in that case, Wilner, is hey, this is a different Oregon team than the opener. They were a little eyes wide open. It was the first time they were playing for Dan Lanning. So much has changed. Look at the 40 points a game that they're scoring. Look at what they're doing. Gosh, they would love to have another shot at Georgia. Now, I don't necessarily know if they really would want to have another shot at Georgia, but (laughs) but a one-loss conference champion, you know, historically that's a top six team in the BCS ranking. So they're right there if they're in that position. So a lot of it would, would likely depend on what happens to Georgia what happens in the other conferences. But, you know, I, I think if you have a one-loss conference champion and you're the Pac-12, you have to feel good about your you know, your shot of punching into that top four and, and getting in there. But Oregon has to start doing some work here, I think, in the next few weeks, and it could start against UCLA, by talking about how much has changed in the program. They're a different team. Won't be surprised to see the marketing machine in Eugene take that tactic. Meanwhile, in Corvallis, Wilner, they're celebrating the game-winning touchdown that they had over Stanford over the weekend. Can I play Mike Parker's radio call for you? Oh, I'd love to hear Fantastic it. Fantastic radio call. Here's Mike Parker, uh, voice of Oregon State Athletics, as he calls the game-winning Treshawn Harrison touchdown reception at Stanford. And poor David Shaw on the sideline looking sick to his stomach. Ben takes the shotgun snap. Will Branson throws down the right sideline. And over the shoulder catch by Harrison. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Beavers! Treshawn Harrison, the catch. 13 seconds to play. The Beavers take the lead. That's how it sounded uh, in uh, David Shaw's mind. Uh, probably a different, uh, different voice sounding off. Uh, what did you make of that play, and what did you make of that finish? Well, it's a great play by Harrison. Uh, you know, Stanford the safety looked like he was out of position there, right? You, I mean, you got to have somebody back. Uh, yeah, part of it's just bad fortune. Part of it is not not being in the right spots. And you know, for Stanford, gosh, uh, they have lost so many games. Right? Was that eleven in a row uh, major college games, and they haven't really been close in any this year. Uh, last year they had two or three that were like a touchdown, but this is by far the closest they've been to a win since like October 2nd of last year. And to have it fizzle like that uh, is just crushing. Now they got to turn around and go to Notre Dame, right? I did think though that they, you know, they missed, messed up uh, the previous series, right? They could have put the game away third and four. They put in a backup quarterback to run the wildcat Oregon State snuffed it out immediately, and it, so Stanford ends up kicking a field goal. They should have had Tanner McKee in there. He's their best player. He's going to be an NFL draft pick, and they pull their quarterback, put him on the bench for a crucial third and four. I thought that that was a huge mistake. Especially against Oregon State. Think about this. Oregon State's got Jack Coletto. They run this in practice. They run that Wildcat. They run a variety of different plays off it. I think the Oregon State uh, first-team defense has seen this over and over in practice, and frankly— Apologies to Stanford, but they've seen it with a better player running that Wildcat position. Oh, for sure. So I, I think that was a coaching miscue. Is David Shaw in trouble here, or do, or do we still say he's got so much proof of performance and the Stanford community view, views him differently that he's safe? I, I'd say I, I don't think that they would 
fire him. Uh, I think if things continue to unravel, it's possible he would just kind of step down and and either, you know, go, try to find another job or go to TV. It is hard to imagine it getting to the point where they would say adios, right? I mean, especially given that they're they're all in with their men's basketball coach who has yet to make the NCAA tournament in like six, seven years. Uh, so we'll see. But it's, you know, it is not going well and it's getting worse at, very quickly for them. Uh, and it's hard to see where they have the personnel to get this thing turned around, right? I agree uh, with, to a certain extent. But I think David Shaw is too smart to simply walk away. There's too much money there for him. And I could see him, you know, making some changes or Stanford's administration talking to him about what he needs with the transfer portal. Do they need to change their academic requirements for football? Do they need to open that door a little bit with the transfer portal being such a big deal? I think, you know, all all of that on the table. That's the big question for them is is the portal. I mean, it's it's absolutely a factor for them in, in both major sports. Uh, the other issue though, when he mentioned change, is he going to change his staff at all? He has not, he does not view, uh, losing seasons as reasons to reevaluate your coaching staff. He sticks by his guys and he's stuck by them. And long after any other coach would have tried to get some new blood in that coaching staff. So we'll see, but they definitely have got an institutional challenge with the portal and, you know, uh, revenue sharing with players that's going to be coming in a few years. What do they want to be institutionally when it goes to major college football? He is John Canzano, johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, pac12hotline.com. What, uh, I don't know what you were doing Friday night, but uh, I was getting ready to have dinner with the family. And uh, all of a sudden there was some news coming down on, on media rights and it was, you know, it's not giant news, but it is significant news. Pac-12's exclusive window with uh, for negotiations with ESPN Fox has closed, and now it's headed out onto the open market, as they say, where the coverage can take uh, negotiate and take bids for its entire inventory of football games and men's basketball games. This is where you know they get if they're going to get serious with an Amazon or an Apple. This is where it happens. What what was your impressions of that? Yeah, I, I counted the days. It's 90 days if you go back to the date that they said they were opening discussions. So it seems like that's a typical window that they got a couple of extensions. And I think we all expected Amazon and Apple to play a role here, whether it's the Pac-12 Network's content, the 36 football games and the Olympic sports and all that stuff, or whether it's a larger piece of the pie, I think is is the big question. But you know, we talked to Bob Thompson in this podcast last week, and he said that, you know, it was pretty evident that it was not the traditional deal, that it wasn't going to be a boilerplate, let's just renew this, because it was taking so long. So I don't think there's any surprise here, but I think we now know this could be, um, you know, Thanksgiving, could be Christmas, before we get any kind of leak on what they're doing, and and a formal deal might be several months away. Yeah, and I think... You know, if you look back and I have not done a a deep analysis on this, but my guess is that the conferences get better deals when they get out to the open market and can get new partners involved. Right. And that can also it doesn't mean just because they didn't get a deal done with ESPN and Fox during the 90 days doesn't mean they're not going to partner with ESPN or Fox. In fact, I'd be shocked if they don't partner with ESPN, but it allows them to kind of slice and dice their their uh, football games, right? Because the way it works, uh, for those who are not familiar, 
you know, when you've got an exclusive negotiating window with ESPN, the Pac-12 could only talk to ESPN about its 22 games. Hey, how much would you pay to extend our current deal for those 22 games? Same thing with Fox, 22 regular season games. Now that it's the exclusive period has ended, they can go to Amazon and say, hey, how much do you how much would you pay for 20 games? ESPN, how much would you pay for 25? They can mix and match. And so that allows them to get more parties interested and come up with more creative, you know, inventory packages. Yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see that. I, I really am curious to see how forward thinking they will get with Amazon and Apple. Uh, before we end the podcast, I want to talk about Matt Rule. He has been fired in the NFL, former Temple and Baylor coach out with the Carolina Panthers. He was 11 and 27 in the NFL. His name will surface as a hot head coaching candidate in college football. Two 10 win seasons at Temple, 11 and three at Baylor in 2019. Is this a guy the Pac-12 could get? Could Arizona State or Colorado hire Matt Rule? Boy, there'll be some serious competition, right? I mean, look at the jobs that are already open with with Wisconsin and Nebraska already open. Auburn could end up opening. Right. So there's going to be some some deep pocketed schools that are going to be potentially interested in Matt Rule. And he's you know, he's a fascinating candidate because here's an NFL coach who won at two different college programs. Right. So he has proven that he understands the recruiting piece. He understands how to relate to the 18 and 19 year olds. You know, that's a lot of NFL coaches who end up getting mentioned for for college jobs. They don't have a background in it. Or look at Herm Edwards, who had been, you know, been out of college for, what, 40 years. Matt Rule has recently been successful at at the college level. So I think there's going to be a ton of interest. Do you think the question is, right, can ASU or Colorado afford him? I mean, I think it starts there. Yeah, and to me it goes back to kind of like Chip Kelly came into the conference and that was celebrated as, you know, the Pac-12 got that guy. Other places wanted him. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, same thing. USC got that guy. It would be nice to see Arizona State or Colorado win this. Not, you know, not Nebraska, not somebody else. If they want Matt Rule, it'd be nice to see a splashy hire by, you know, not one of the L.A. schools in this conference. I, so keep an eye on that. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's the great John Wilner. Barrier News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe and like the podcast, and we will see you later this week.